The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. I guess this is the sexiest Christmas music we could find, right? Dave, Dave is on it. He is on it. Uh, tonight on the program, we have our LGBTQ panel, and it is the holidays, and sometimes when uh, you are part of the LGBT community and you go home for the holidays, you're faced with potentially some homophobic relatives. How do you handle that? That's one of the issues that we will discuss when we have uh, Dr. Jason Behrman, David Hawkins, and Charles Lowe in studio with us, our panelists for our LGBTQ uh, night here on the program. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. Remember that you can email me anytime during the week, lori at drlori.com or through the iHeartRadio app. Uh, so let me start off with a question right here. I am in a sexless relationship for the last two and a half years due to a religious factor. Any suggestions for me? So uh, I, I can't, I'm not really sure what you're asking me here. So uh, if you're holding to your religious beliefs about waiting until marriage to have sex, clearly that is a choice that you make. But it's a choice that's made by both partners involved. If masturbation doesn't go against your beliefs, then there's that choice uh, for now. What I suggest is uh, you have an open and honest discussion with your partner about the future of your relationship and about uh, what you want. You need to know what it is uh, that you want. Uh, due to a she's cheating on you factor, is that this a texter is writing in, is that what you think is why they're in a sexless relationship? So you're thinking that this person who's in a sexless relationship, who says it's because of religious reasons, you're assuming that's the case because the partner is cheating. I'm not so sure that those, that, that this is related necessarily to what's uh, going on here. I really think it's sexless simply because they're not engaging in any kind of sexual activity, maybe until uh, until marriage, and the person doesn't know what to do with their sexual energy, sexual impulses, sexual desire, feelings, etc. So that it, it makes it complicated, or it makes it at least not complicated, but challenging to remain uh chaste, if you will, until, uh, until marriage. But does that mean you're not allowed to do anything? No touching, no kissing, no foreplay, none, none of the preliminaries or, uh, so I can imagine it could be challenging to, um, uh, to channel your, your sexual desires, uh, elsewhere at that point. Here's another question. My wife and I have been toying around with the idea of her exploring her sexual desires outside of the marriage and wonder how we should go about it. This has been a longtime fantasy for both her and I. So what you're talking about is uh, looking at 
the option, even though you're married, to have an open marriage, to have a, um, a consensual, what we call consensual non-monogamy. Uh, so to to do this, especially when you go from monogamy to non-monogamy, you really need to uh, explore, talk about all the possible consequences of acting out this fantasy. Questions, kinds of questions you need to ask yourself is like, how will you feel knowing that another person is pleasuring your wife? How are you going to handle any feelings of jealousy that may uh, show up? Have you also discussed the conditions? Like what is acceptable? What isn't? Is there certain types of behavior that it would be okay? Other types that wouldn't? Do you have to be in the room? Do you need to be involved? Like what is the scenario going to uh, look like? So I think it's really important to have that kind of open communication where you can discuss your thoughts, your feelings, your desires together. And if you can do that, and if you can then uh, debrief after something, for example, and decide if it's something that met your expectations, didn't meet your expectations, troubled you, or brought up some feeling that you were not expecting, you need to be able to talk about it. If a, a relationship does not have this level of communication, then don't go down that route because it isn't an answer to fix anything that's wrong in uh, in your relationship. Couples who do this successfully are uh, typically couples who have really good communication, who have very little jealousy to begin with, and who are more interested or who feel like they want that this is okay because it's about pleasuring or their partner getting uh, pleasure in whatever, whatever way. So it's a different kind of thinking that goes in this. And it isn't for everybody. I can tell you that right now. So my suggestion is you do some research on open relationships. Like you can read online forums. You can uh, look at how other people have navigated that. There's plenty, plenty written about this because there are more and more people in, in our day who are, uh, who find themselves in uh, consensual non-monogamous relationships by choice. So uh, it, it seems to be one of those choices that uh, is just becoming a little more uh, popular. So talking to other people who have been in open relationships is a really good, uh, is a really good idea. And then you can kind of figure out and, and think about all the, uh, the potential, uh, pitfalls because you do have to think about that. It's not all, it's, it's not all going to be great in a fantasy. Everything is perfect in a fantasy because you control the fantasy. But when you act out a fantasy, you are no longer in control. Because there are other factors that come into play that are out of your control, like feelings, emotions, other people's feelings, right? So how you're going to handle all of that uh, has to be thought out rather than just sticking with the fantasy and thinking it's going to be exactly like in your fantasy. Often people are disappointed because the fantasy is far better in many ways because you are in, like you control the script. You're like the director in all of that. So that matters. Uh, last question. I'm 20. I'm a 20 year old man. I want to know what's the best age to have sex and what are the side effects of not having sex uh, and what is the replacement of it? So 
First of all, in terms of giving you the best age for sex, that's very difficult to answer because having sex is an individual decision that should be made by taking all uh, emotional and physical consequences into consideration, which means you need to be informed and ready to use protection to avoid sexually transmitted infections, pregnancy prevention. Uh, it also uh, means making sure you check in to evaluate, evaluate how you feel about your partner, how you feel about uh, your relationship. Uh, sex is certainly not something you should feel pressured to engage in, either by your peers or uh, by your partner. And the alternative is to self-pleasure. The alternative is masturbation, which is not harmful unless it's done excessively, compulsively, which we've talked about on the program before. Uh, coming up, we uh, have our LGBT panel, Dr. Jason Behrman, David Hawkins, and Charles Lowe will join us and we'll talk about how to spend the holidays with your homophobic family and other, fact and other subjects, topics that you want to discuss. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between, Passion with Dr. Lori, News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Pretty sure Dan didn't play this music during the Christmas family special, <laughs> where Dave's picked out all the sexiest Christmas uh, music possible for our show tonight. Uh, tonight, it's our LGBTQ panel. We have in studio with us Dr. Jason Behrman, Vice President of Queer Tech Montreal, David Hawkins, the Director of the West Island LGBTQ2 Plus Center, and Charles Lowe, aka Dolly Blonde, who's a musician, songwriter, and performer. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Gentle gentlemen. All right. The question is, and I thought it was cute. I, well, cute. I saw, I saw this on, a, on a, a, a board, a message board or whatever, and it was like, uh, should I spend Christmas with my homophobic family? And I'm thinking, okay, that is uh, Christmas time and holiday time must be challenging for a lot of people. Um, maybe more for people just coming out, maybe for those who aren't out. Like it's an, it's clearly an, an issue that occurs more than in the, it's just a non-issue in the, let's say in the, in the straight community, aside from family conflicts, like regular family conflicts mm -hmm. and stuff like this is, yeah. uh, this is something else. Like what happens if, you know, you're, you've got a, your parents are, are, are all good, but you know that uncle Jack uh, makes a lot of homophobic comments and you Jack. know right, exactly Everybody and 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 we've got to keep it you know not tell grandma you know about this and uh so how does uh, does this come up like how does this come up i'm sure david with your youth because you work a lot with uh mm -hmm. lgbtq youth is this an issue that's come up these days yeah and i mean it's not just with the youth it's with everybody i mean we have people across the board who will not talk to their families, period, let alone on the Christmas holidays or any kind of holidays. Mm -hmm. well, that, that must make it mighty painful and lonely at this time of year then for those people. It really can. And we've got some fantastic families who say, you know what, our houses are always open to LGBTQ people. And if you don't have a place to go, you're more than welcome to spend, come spend Christmas with us. Oh, that's nice. And it it's a question that a lot of people have to deal with. Like, I... I got very lucky with my coming out, and I didn't have anybody in my life who rejected me for my sexuality. Until I was 24, some six years after the fact, and I had a cousin who started to kind of spout really awful rhetoric about being gay. And I was just like, well, you know what? Thanks, but I run an LGBTQ 
to community center. I don't need this. Like, snip, snip, you're out. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But what happens when that person is is at a gathering? Well, you can... Some people have the choice of saying, well, you know what? I can interact or I cannot. Mm-hmm. And But for other people, they won't have that option if they're in the same gathering. So I think it's totally fair to say, you know what? I, I don't have to spend that time with my homophobic family if if Christmas or if the new year or if the holiday season is all about coming together and loving each other, mm-hmm. you don't, you shouldn't have to waste your time and you're not obliged to waste your time with people who are just going to bring you down and make you feel miserable and bad about yourself. Like Absolutely. You're, you're more than welcome to be who you are and feel how you want to feel and spend it with the people who want you. Yeah, mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I definitely think there is a lot of emotional sort of energy that you have to put into any family gathering, I guess. And yes, I guess it's, that's true. It's deciding how much you want to engage in situations like that. So if you know that you have that Uncle Jack, if you know that you have that cousin Roger, like Aunt Mimi, mm-hmm. whatever, know that you're only going to be able to exert so much emotional energy within that moment. So maybe don't engage as much as you would normally engage in another situation with not a family member. Realize that you don't necessarily need to be in the same house with them 24-7. Maybe go for a walk. Like, if you know you're going to your family's place, just, you know, pop up grinder the week before, see who's there. When everybody's, you know, like, taking that, like, turkey coma, then uh-huh. be like, peace out, and then, you know, right, come right, back. Right. Plan it out. Uh, so don't engage. It's sometimes difficult not to when somebody is when somebody's like being let's say nasty or you want to you know making a a comment that you really like just gets you right you want to like ah uh so not but it's true not to engage is probably the best thing because is it at a dinner a family function that you want to start having arguments with a very rigid um religious uh, uh person yeah. who believe you're not going to change their mind definitely not right so mm-hmm. is that really the place for you to begin an argument jason what do you think well it's something i'm very well familiar with yeah um I, it's so common in the lgbtq community to hear of people who uh, go back into the closet whenever the holidays come mm. uh, come around because, you know, grandma or grandpa are just not going to accept them or you have to make up these elaborate stories of this person that you're bringing with you to Christmas dinner is your friend. Mm. And, um, I mean, that that's not all too bad, but at the same time, it's it's not the most it's not virtuous. not authentic, right? It's not the most virtuous state of being when mm-hmm. uh, when you're supposed to be gathering with loved ones or family members and then you have to become this alternative entity of who you're not really at all and uh my gosh it's uh, i i had a lot i came from a family that had a lot of problems they were extremely homophobic oh really oh man uh, i i loathed christmas holidays for the longest time because i never really grew up in an environment where it was it was all that great until Mm -hmm. i i met my husband and his family and their their christmas gatherings are just awesome they're amazing so um i i I learned a new perspective Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, quite often, um, um, do you see your I, family now, Jason? Like, uh, do you yeah. go, okay. Uh, um, my, my mother, she's mm-hmm. the only uh, person that's still, uh, with us. And, um, uh, I remember the situation was so bad that if there was one person that could not come and be part of that situation, it was always me. I was always the one that would have to choose to stay away from that toxic environment. Oh, wow. And I've had a few Christmases where I was alone and I must say oh. it was very painful and it made me very bitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. And I'm absolutely certain you're not the only one who's had these 
these experiences. No, not at all. It's right. it's more common than you think, and it's it's quite unfortunate. But uh, that's what's cool with the LGBTQ community because everybody knows of these people, and so we usually have an open door policy so that you don't mm. have to be alone for the Christmas holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is lovely. And I know yeah. people can reach out to the West Island LGBT Center. You guys always have something planned and, and, yeah. and connections that can be made. We'd love to hear your thoughts. 514-800. Have you ever had to face this kind of uh, situation uh, with families? So let us know. 514-800. Or you can call in at 514-790-0800. And if there are any topics that you want to bring up, we would love to address them with our LGBTQ panel. We've got uh, Dr. Jason Behrman, uh, David Hawkins, and Charles Lowe in studio with us. Uh, I do want to bring, uh, I got a letter from uh, somebody that uh, I wanted to bring to you guys because you are more the experts in this area because you've lived it and you know a little bit about the attitude. So I want to just share this from a, a young male, 28 years old, a uh, listener of ours, who says, I am gay and have always been considered good-looking. I've wanted to get into modeling and also wanted to work as a stripper in a gay male strip joint, but I'm 5'9", 135 pounds and keep getting turned down because they say I'm not muscular enough or big enough. Uh, There are four gay strip joints in Montreal, two hire young men between 18 and 23, and the other two hire muscular or big guys only. Uh, People like me just get left out, even if I'm well endowed under the belt. It makes me very depressed. I go to the gym and try to eat more protein, but I'm a hard gainer. I've considered using steroids, but they're a bit expensive and they kill many young men prematurely. Absolutely. How do I gain, get to gain entry in this field and how do I get rid of the body image disorder? The gay community is very polarized between extreme youth and uh, muscle. And I guess this brings up the whole uh, the whole issue about uh, what are the expectations to, to look a certain way. And I know a lot of gay men do struggle with that body image. So what is it about the community that uh, puts this kind of, uh, of pressure? Well, first off, let's draw a line in the sand here. Um, we're talking about strip clubs and their kind of standards for beauty okay, and the kind good, of markets that they're, that they're catering to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they cater to a particular market and they cater to um, a particular physique, okay? Because that's kind of how that business runs that's here like in porn. Montreal. It's, it's yeah. a little bit like, it, you know, how do I get into the porn industry? Well, you got to have certain... Uh, and it's, it's not reflective of of uh, the LGBTQ community whatsoever. Uh, But yeah, in general, we do see that uh, the standards for aesthetic and and body shape and, and I don't know, just like beauty and fashion trends, um, they're distinct in uh, gay men uh, society. um, Well, the gay men culture, I guess you should say. Uh, That is different from uh, the average hetero male. So yeah, there's some differences here. And we do see that there is more of a pressure on uh, gay men to have a certain aesthetic and to be more fashionable to be more well-groomed, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, we all have to set our own limits and our own boundaries. So if we are feeling so inferior by our looks and that we cannot, like we're so ugly or we're so inadequate that we cannot socialize with people and have meaningful relationships with others in this world, you should look inwards and mm-hmm. and uh, ask yourself some tough questions as to why you're feeling that, that bad. And... Um, maybe distance yourself from those toxic environments that make you feel so inferior all the time. It, but, it seems kind of excessive to me and, right. and unfortunate. It is unfortunate, and it's similar in the straight community, <clears throat> maybe not to the same extent. But listen, I have met uh, gay people of all shapes, sizes, looks, who are 
partnered up. So it's mm-hmm. not it's not uh, necessarily an impediment to you having a partner. Mm-hmm. There's still mm-hmm. a, a lid for every pot, you know, mm-hmm. in yeah. whichever community you look at. Definitely. And I think what's actually very interesting is now, because, I mean, it's no secret that we're constantly bombarded, you know, like yeah, white, from everywhere. gay men, right. media, all, the, all over the place. But what I think is very interesting now is that something I did recently is I went on my Instagram and I looked at all the thirst traps of, like, you know, muscly gay men. I just mm-hmm. unfollowed it. If it, if it, doesn't, <laughs> there, bring it, bothers me, me, if it right. doesn't bring me anything productive, if it doesn't bring me anything constructive, unfollow it. So. All right. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll talk about uh, uh, Brazilians running to the altar and any other issues you want to discuss with our LGBT panel after we check in uh, with the CJD 800 newsroom. following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. What does that really all mean? <laughs> really, really. Uh, this is our LGBT panel, Dr. Jason Behrman, Vice President of Queer Tech Montreal, which is a wonderful organization for uh, the tech community, for especially for the queer tech community. What a great name. Yes. (laughs) Did you pick it on purpose? Uh, We have David Hawkins, who's the director of the West Island LGBTQ2 Plus uh, Center out in Beaconsfield, and Charles Lowe, uh, also known as uh, Dolly Blonde, who performs, uh, is a musician, songwriter, uh, and frequent guest on the program as well. So we were just talking about the body image or the pressures on the LGBT community, especially, well, gay men, especially, I think. It's certainly not the same in, I don't think, in the in the lesbian world, although I can't speak for them, but I don't think so. Uh, now, you work with youth, and how is how much is this an issue, David? So I think, I think the nice thing, let's start with the positive. I think the nice thing is a lot of our youth are very comfortable with who they are and they, they kind of find the validity in being able to express who they are and who they want to be. And they take strength from that. But when when we talk about just kind of the, the community as a whole, it, it can be very challenging. I mean, I was saying um, while we were off air for a little bit, um, when I before coming out, I never had any self-confidence issues. I never had I had a lot of self-confidence and I was very positive about myself. And I know I didn't have the great body type. And I was like, I was cool with it. I was totally OK with it. And then I came out, and within a year, my my self-image tanked, my self-confidence tanked. Uh, I went to a really dark space where I didn't want to drink because I knew that it would put me into a, a mind space where I'd be just upset. And I would drink with other gay people, and I'd see them all coupling up and going off to hook up. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd just be sitting there alone at the party, like, fun. And everyone's like, oh, you're a nice guy, but you're not but- my type. Okay. You felt that pressure that you had to look a certain way? Oh, people told me. Oh, people actually told you? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I I sit here and I don't look like I'm 220 pounds, but I am. Mm-hmm. And that, a lot of that weight was put on while I was in university. But even when I started with the center, it was right before I started in university. And I made a lot of really good friends, um, both at the center and outside of the center. And then as I went through university and I started putting on weight, more and more people would not talk to me. And like the joking, like, oh, I'm going to send somebody I know on Grindr a message or on Hornet a message or any one of those other dating apps. Like I have a thing where I can't swipe right on people I know, uh, 
yeah, swipe swipe left on people I know. I always have to swipe right because I'm like, oh, like I want you, to, I want you to feel validated, mm-hmm. and like I want to talk to you nice everywhere. Guy, David. <laughs> I try, um, and then I was starting to get like I would send messages to people I knew and people I considered friends, and they would just n- would not talk to me. They would block me, and that hurts. Yeah, I'm like, sure that hurts. And so that put me in a really dark space for a long time, and it was only when I. About the age where I hit 23 and I stopped going out and I stopped clubbing and I stopped spending time with the gay community and just spent time with the center really as my only gay, my only gay community in my life. Mm-hmm. I started to feel better about myself. And I started to improve and go, well, you know what? I am who I am and it doesn't matter. But the, the, the community can be hurtful for a lot of people. And just because you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, you don't have to be related to that community. It's... It's entirely optional. People go there to feel that connection, but it's not mandatory. It's not obligatory. It can do a lot more harm than good for some people. It's a, it's an interesting point because I know quite a few couples who uh, who actually have never even been to the village. You know, like they're a couple. They live in the suburbs. You know, two kids, a dog. You know, they're not – they don't come – like they don't have uh, – their community is a straight community, but, mm-hmm. you know, within that – so. It's quite true that there are a lot of people who are not part of the larger uh, community. I'm not yeah. sure what, and then, I, then necessarily wouldn't I wouldn't consider the gay village in Montreal to be sort of like a perfect collage of no. the LGBTQ right. community no. at no. all. Definitely I think it's not. mostly, I think it's mostly a PSA for straight people for gay people yeah. in the village. <laughs> I think it's I think it's what they want to th- see. I think it's digestible enough for them, and as long as it's sort of like put off to the sides, like okay, yeah, cool, continue. But I don't think it's a, a perfect environment a at PSA all. PSA for the straight community. I love that. That's really well said. Copyright, <laughs> Jason. What do you think? Oh, I, I know there's a lot of diversity in in the gay community, uh, the LGBTQ community, and um, depending on on where you situate yourself, you will see that the groups that come together, they're not always represented, well representative of the highly marketed, highly branded mm. kind of uh, image of the typical lesbian, the typical gay man, the typical trans person. So I don't know. Right. I just, there's so much diversity out there. And like you will see this. like you, you will see how the crowd is different and diverse at a queer tech event. You will also yes, see how, exactly. the, how, how the crowd is very different and diverse at these um, alternative club and bar events mm-hmm. that happen. Like, you know, it's gay night at um, what is typically a, a, a hetero mm-hmm. uh, venue in uh, mm-hmm. different areas of the city outside of the village. And uh, you will notice that the, the crowd is different. And I have... I, I find it's it's a cooler crowd and, and a more a more accepting <laughs> what, kind of crowd. The gays in the hetero world. <laughs> well, um, I, I wasn't referring to that, oh, but okay. I mean, um, like in like, like in the the scene, like the LGBTQ scene, that's more of like underground or mm-hmm, alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, you really get a, a more interesting kind of flavor of people there. I find. Yeah, that, you usually that do are not... in any underground, whether it's yeah, in the course. straight or yeah. LGBTQ. I think it's good to sort of get out of your comfort zone and go to like not necessarily seek out different sub communities, but just sort of like go out and see, you know, maybe a bar that you haven't been to. You like, I don't know about you guys, but like daddy leather bars have the best beer. I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, We've got uh, Dr. Jason Behrman, David Hawkins and Charles Lowe in studio. What's happening in, uh, in Brazil there, uh, Jason? 
Well, uh, Brazil uh, is following suit, like many other um, major countries around the world. Uh, there's this uh, extreme right-wing uh, populist uh, movement that's happening in politics right now that's, uh, well, for me, I find it to be of great concern. And a lot of these populist movements, um, quite often they're very anti-LGBTQ and, and brazen about it, almost like proud cool. to preach in front of the the population about uh, how they don't like the LGBTQ community, especially the trans community and uh, non-binary people. They find them to be uh, threatening or unacceptable by uh, having these like people question gender norms. And so, well, this just happened in Brazil and they elected uh, Bolsonaro, who is very extreme right wing and uh, openly homophobic. I, I believe he said um, he would rather his child be dead than <gasps> gay. And uh, he would horrible, say this... Horrible, horrible. Oh, yeah, he, he would say this uh, openly uh, on television. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's now the, the, pro, the, the president of the country. So he is pretty alongside the um, extreme evangelical community as well. And he's made it pretty clear that he's going to be hostile to the LGBTQ community. Now, it's interesting because with the previous government, uh, Brazil, if anybody's ever been to Brazil, especially in their major urban areas, it's fabulously queer kind of <laughs> kind of country. Amazing club scenes. Like I had so much fun in Brazil. So it's pretty open and um, there's still a lot of homophobia, but it, it, it has like a, a counterculture there that's quite prominent. And also the, the country legalized same-sex marriage. So now a lot of people are questioning whether or not that will be reversed. That's exactly it. So people are running to the They're altar running now. to the aisle now to get their papers done before anything happens. Yeah. Unfortunately, what happens if... It, well, I'll ask you that after, but what happens if it gets uh, reversed? Because we've seen it in, in different uh, countries as well. More with my LGBTQ panels after... This is Passion with Dr. Lori. Is that the Beeb? Oh, Justin Bieber. You're not happy, Charles. I don't know her. <laughs> <It's unfortunate. laughs> Thank you. Don't you do a beeb? No? Uh, no. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> the hair, but not the patience. Nothing else. Uh, Dr. Jason Behrman, David Hawkins, and Charles Lowe in studio for our LGBT panel. If there's anything you want to ask, discuss, you still have a bit of time. 514-800. We were talking about, uh, yes, Brazil and countries that are... The f- they're all running to the altar now because of the fear that they're going to revoke. Or how did the, do you call it revoke a law? I don't even know. Does anybody know? Repeal. Listening? Repeal the law. Repeal, yeah, yeah, repeal the law, uh, allowing this. But and I'm wondering what happens when a law is repeal. Like I understand if the law is repealed, it means any future people can't get married. But does mm-hmm. it also mean your marriage license is revoked? Can you, somebody actually do that? I don't think so if anybody's a in the legal profession there let us know if that's possible but like i know that some countries have any countries reversed it no no uh, okay same-sex marriage is still very so very fresh, new so. right? except here it's like over 10 years yeah, yeah. but i mean relatively i guess that's relatively new, new yeah. yeah compared yes. to right. heterosexual marriage you know like <laughs> right and now they're actually holding like referendums in in countries for this yes so like uh, we were talking about uh, australia took a risk and so did ireland and i i say a risk because it's usually not the best idea to let the majority of the population vote on the rights of a minority I agree. so canada for example we did not have a referendum on same-sex marriage that was just a a, a bill that was passed in parliament by the ruling party the mm-hmm. liberal party 
Uh, definitely not the conservative party, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's quite, quite often that's, that's the case throughout the world um, in, in jurisdictions that have uh, same-sex marriage rights. Um, it, it's usually not done through a referendum. Um, and so that's interesting. Um, but Taiwan, for example, they did hold a, a referendum on same-sex marriage and it, it was struck down. Okay. The population said, nope, not ready yet. And they were the, are they the first Asian country to hold such a referendum? Um, I'm marriage, not sure you know? about that, um, but they were slated to become the first Asian country. Um, well, you could have a debate with China whether or not it's a country. Right. Um, <laughs> that, that would pass same-sex marriage. And, uh, I kept my mouth shut when I was in and China. It was, it was really close, yeah. <laughs> and we were really banking on that because it really looked like they were going to be the first domino to fall. But mm. nope. We're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to hold our breath for a little while longer. All right. Any mm -hmm. other places that uh, you were talking about, uh, Charles Island? What what's going on? Yeah, Ireland? as you mentioned, uh, one of the referendums that was uh, that took place on uh, gay marriage was in Ireland, and that fortunately that one did pass. It did pass. Yes. So Australia mm -hmm. passed, mm -hmm. and Ireland passed, and Taiwan. I, I did believe not. so. I mean, right. I I would have to double we'll check, to but check I I, that, I, rec right. I recall. Oh. Yeah, well, gay marriage, it's still on the table, you know, in, in many different places. Uh, now, other things that are that I see recurrent in the LGBT community is, uh, like, school suspensions, people in those kinds of, you know, education positions saying really not nice things to, uh, to basically are bullying kids mm -hmm. who are... LGBTQ plus. So there was a school teacher suspended for telling a trans boy uh, in West Virginia, you freak me out. And then uh, kind of ordering him to uh, uh, like, come out here, use the urinal, you know, mm -hmm. like show me that you're a real uh, boy or, or whatever it was, which to me is a form of of bullying, intimidation, and I mean, the that's poor, the poor that's, kid. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's harassment. Psychological harassment. Yeah, definitely. Imagine from a uh, this kid's teacher. It was an assistant pr uh, principal. It was even worse. Oh, the worse. principal yeah. even worse. Yes, who's supposed to keep the school safe yeah. for all kids, and that's what we want for our kids: is that they have a safe place to go, and that school feels like a safe place. So imagine if the the uh, principal or assistant principal is treating the the, the LGBT children this way. What what message does it send to the rest of the school environment? Yeah, it was a really this, this happened two days ago. The story broke, and it was a 15-year-old who identifies as a trans boy, a trans mm -hmm. young adult, and uh, he waited to use the restroom until nobody was there, and then went in, double-checked, uh, the, the room was empty, and then went into a bathroom stall to relieve himself, mm -hmm. like anybody privately. would. Privately. Mm -hmm. And there was nobody else in there, and then the assistant principal followed him in and then started harassing him while he was in the stall and then came out and then the the principal like uh, accosted him and said like oh I, I i find there's something yucky about you and then um kind of humiliated this person kind of certainly humiliated and, him, and it was like oh yeah well you can't use a urinal go and use a urinal and all this and i i i, I was my head was spinning i'm like why do you do this what does this solve remotely? What is this sick kind of power game? First of all, you're the adult in this situation. There's a child here. The person who was using the restroom did it in the most discreet and respectful mm -hmm. way possible. Like, what more 
what more could that what, person what, have what, done? What more do you want? And like, right. how does this make you a bigger person? And like, why the heck are you in in the care of children? Like, why yeah. are you caring or overseeing the the the, the well being of children? I, I just don't understand. Right, and I think that was I'm sure the, yeah. the that anger mm-hmm. was evoked in in a lot of people, especially in your in your yeah. situation, David, dealing with well, youth who might describe some of these events yeah. to you. Well, I mean. The the issue is, I think we we want schools to be safe spaces for our students, for our youth, for our kids, but just historically, that's not the track record for LGBTQ people. It's never been a safe space. I mean, only now is it starting to get better with GSAs in some high schools and and things like that. But even 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 the center in the West Island, we still encounter roadblocks trying to get into schools. Really, and I mean, we 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 can only go in if we're invited by. Um, teachers, by principals, guidance counselors, things like that. But there are some schools that we've reached out to several times and they just will not talk to us. Mm-hmm. We have kids who come in and they'll be like, oh, so this happened to me at school today. And the most heartbreaking thing is they'll come in with these stories and it's weekly. It's daily at school. Mm-hmm. And they're just so accustomed to it because they're like, that's a part of my life by this point. Like, what else is new? That is very sad. Yeah. That has to stop. And, and what is yeah. the solution to this? I mean, it's challenging because different schools take such different approaches. I mean, I always say this, but Pierrefond Comprehensive is one of my favorite schools to present at because the kids there know so much. I can walk into Pierrefond Comprehensive and give them a presentation about LGBTQ discourse. And I can ask a question there and half of the room will know what the answer is and the other half will have a pretty good idea. Well, that that school, I, I believe, anyway, is, is quite known for being pro-education in, yeah. in many ways. I myself have gone there to give talks to the parents and it's always a really good turnout. So, mm-hmm. yeah, again, it depends on, on yeah. the community and which community uh, some schools yeah. serve. And yeah. But yeah. I get the – it's unfortunate that there's a um, – that they're you're blocked from yeah. from going into schools that really really need it. So and it 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 breaks my heart to mm-hmm. hear that this still goes on every day. That yep. you hear these stories every well, day. Well, I mean, if we look at it, we're we're talking about these incidents that happened in the states. Uh, I think it was less than two years ago. Cooper Academy a student committed suicide because they were LGBTQ, right. and that's right. right in our backyard. It's f- less than five minutes from the center. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and these are heartbreaking st- stories. Like, these are just, and they need a vo- they need a voice. Yeah. Like, this is important, which is one of the reasons we do these panels. And we've run out of time, guys. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jason Behrman. Where can people find you, except oh. for here on our our, our tech night? <laughs> so you can learn more about our community at uh, queertech.ca, and we host uh, monthly events, and they're really fun, and it's great for meeting other people and for professional development so come join us wonderful and david hawkins where can people find you and information about the center uh so you can always come visit us at the center we're open most nights of the week at uh, 202 woodside road in baconsfield you can also check out our website at uh, lgbtq2center.com or you can always find our info there and give us a call send us a text and send you're us on an facebook email. also on facebook where, where everywhere you'll find us no matter where you go <laughs> Charles Lowe, where are you performing next? Uh, uh, I am currently done for the season, but I will have plenty of performances in 2019. You can find my music on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you stream music with Dolly Blonde on Instagram, Dolly Blonde Music, on Twitter, Charles H. Lowe, 
and uh, everywhere else, Dolly Blonde. All right. Wonderful. Thank you all again. And thanks to Dave Simon and Master Control for getting us all that sexy Christmas music. So appreciate it. Uh, connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Don't forget, you can always send me emails anytime. Uh, coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.